0: Uh, you guys know our study diet of preaching around here is preaching through books of the Bible. Uh, we've been working our way through Nehemiah before the COVID outbreak, and we were almost done. And uh, then we did a couple of sermons just on uh, issues pertaining to the COVID outbreak. And then we followed that up with a couple weeks on Holy Week, uh, and here we are. What are we going to do? Are we going to choose a new book and work our way through it? Uh, are we going to choose a topic uh, to really uh, to dive into and uh, we decided to do a topic. We decided to do the topic of rest. And there were really kind of three indicators that got us there. Uh, the first one was a conversation I had with Justin. Justin and I were just talking kind of big picture, 30,000 foot view of our church, and issues surrounding it. And uh, uh, in the middle of it, I just said, I said, bro, our people are just so flipping busy. As a matter of fact, I'm so flipping busy. I think we should do a series on rest. And he said, I think that's a good idea. Let's pray about it and see what the Lord does. The second indicator was a couple weeks after that. I was with one of you, actually, and uh, you asked me, um, hey, what's the biggest issue facing our church? And almost impulsively, I said something that surprised me. I said, "Uh, I think the biggest issue facing our church is that we're too busy, that I'm too busy. Uh, And it really surprised me because I got to thinking about it. I thought, man, any other day I think I would have said something like, you know, the rise of secularism, or uh, the tearing apart of the family in our culture, or gender and sexuality issues, or mental health, you know, something like that, maybe even politics. But I really do think it's busyness. I do really think that that is the issue that we've got to talk about. And then the third one, the third one obviously is the COVID-19 outbreak. Because uh, the COVID-19 outbreak, for many of us, it's got us going at a much slower pace. Uh, a lot of us are working from home. Uh, some of us have lost our jobs, and we're not as busy as we used to be. Uh, a lot of us uh, have lost our extracurriculars, the things that we did with our free time uh, for life. Um, we, uh, we're not doing anymore. We're not allowed to do anymore. And so here we are. We're bored. But I know this isn't the case for all of us. Uh, I read a study this week that looked at uh, how your wage uh, affected your ability to work from home. In the lowest quarter of the wage distribution, there's only a 9% chance that those people can work from home. And if you're in the highest quarter of the wage distribution, there's a 61% chance that you can work from home. So you really do see that social distancing is a privilege. And so if you're in the lowest quarter, you're not so bored. Uh, you're uh, just as busy, if not busier, than you've always been. Some of us are uh, doing essential business. Uh, you're in the he- healthcare industry, and you're working more hours and probably more stressful hours than you ever have. You're not bored at all. Others of us, we have our kids home 24-7. <laughs> we're not used to having all of our kids home 24-7. They're in school. Uh, they're in childcare. care. Uh, we, ba- we have babysitter help. We've got grandparent help, other family help, and now we don't have it. Now we're just caring for our kids 24-7. And so we're not bored at all. If that's you, what you're going to hear the next eight weeks is going to sound sound crazy. Uh, It's going to sound super irrelevant, uh, but you're going to need to put some of this stuff that we talk about for the next eight weeks, you're going to need to put in your back pocket because you're going to need to know some of it in order to recuperate on the other side of the pandemic. Uh, Today, we want to talk about busyness and uh, why it's such a problem. And we'll begin to pull back just a little bit, pull back the curtain just a little bit of what the solution to our problem of busyness just might be. Uh, by looking at Luke chapter 10. So let's read it together. Luke 10, start in verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Let her then help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good fortune, which she which which will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. So as you get uh, to Luke 10, I really want us to zoom in on Martha here for a minute and get a real good picture of her. Uh, What you see uh, with her is that she's the one who greets Jesus in verse 38. And then in verse 40, you see that Martha is busy with much serving. I know what her serving probably looked like. You do too. Uh, It was probably food preparation. It was cleaning up. It was uh, having the uh, ambiance be just right. I mean, that's what you'd want to do for Jesus too if you had him him over for dinner. And after all, isn't Jesus the one who's all about service? Isn't he the one who's all about greeting? And if you think about Jesus' life of service, that's all he really did. But the moment that it really came to a pinnacle was probably in John 13. They're in the upper room. He's got his 12 disciples, and he washes their feet, those dirty, stanky feet. And he says, now go and do likewise. In other words, now go serve the whole world. I just modeled this for you. Now you 12 disciples, go serve the world. So surely Jesus is pro-service. And then greeting. Martha greeted Jesus, and Jesus... Uh, made everyone who was ever in his presence feel at home. Whether you were a Gentile, whether you were a child, whether you were a sufferer, whether you were part of the political elite, Jesus made you feel at home in his presence. He was the ultimate host. And so you'd think that Jesus would give Martha an A for the day, right? <laughs> but he doesn't. Uh, Jesus announces Martha's service and Martha's greeting. How could Jesus be so harsh to someone who's done such good things? Well, here's why he does it. He does it because it comes from a bad place. Here she is. She's working her tail off. She's just trying to get it right. But she falls very short because she's trying to do what we all do, and that's manipulate Jesus. See, many of us, we think that we can make Jesus our debtor. We think we can amass a certain amount of good deeds in order for him to give us what we want. He's got to make us feel a certain way. He has to give us the job that we want that's perfectly fulfilling. He has to give us the spouse of our dreams. He has to give us health. He has to give us wealth. And when Jesus doesn't give us those things in return for our service, for our good deeds, what happens? We get mad. We get angry. But Jesus will not be manipulated, and he's not that impressed by Martha's service. He's not that impressed by mine, and he's not in- impressed by yours either. But the other thing about being busy is it makes us feel significant. I mean, just think about when you ask someone how they're doing. What do they usually say? They usually say, just keeping busy, staying busy. And I think when we say that, what we really are saying is, hey, will you see how important I am? I've got so much going on because... People depend on me. My organization depends on me. And this busyness that we're so proud of, it's been ingrained in us from the earliest of days. I mean, many of us, we received a a, a really great education. And we were given a really great education so that we would have a competitive advantage as we start to enter into college. And as we begin to look through college, Billions of dollars across the country are spent on college counselors. Billions of dollars are spent on these ACT prep courses, all with the point of trying to impress college admissions departments, just so that we can get in and maybe still get scholarships. I mean, think about it. I mean, just a, a few months ago, some people in Hollywood, there was a whole bunch of them, and they found out that they were bribing college admissions departments so their kids could get into prestigious schools. And I've known many uh, college counselors both at the high school level and the college admissions level. And they talk about the mania of parents when it comes to their kids' college educations. So we've been groomed for this, but it doesn't stop just once we get into college. The rat race continues. We know we've got to crush our grades in college. We know we've got to prepare for the GMAT, the LSAT, the MCAT, because we've got to get in. But we know the grades aren't enough. We've got to have these extracurriculars. We've got to be volunteering for everything. We've got to get just the right internship so we can get the right job. And when we get the right job, we've got to put in all these long hours to impress those who are above us because that's just what you do. And by the way, somewhere along the way, you get married and you likely get married to someone who's on the same hamster wheel as you. Oh, and and while you marry someone who's on the same hamster wheel that increases the speed exponentially, you throw kids into the mix. And so there you have it. Your life's out of control. You're sitting in the seat that you're in now. But things have changed, haven't they? There's the COVID outbreak. And now many of us, we're detoxing from our busyness. And here's how detox works. If you've ever been around someone who's detoxing from alcohol or drugs you know that the withdrawal symptoms can be pretty severe. In fact, the withdrawal symptoms can cause you to die. And what happens during detox is that it really is a rewiring of the brain. It begins to show your body that you don't need the substance that you think you need. You don't need it to survive. And now, here you are, you're finding out that you've got these withdrawal symptoms. And the withdrawal symptoms, they're very uncomfortable. You know it contributes to all the busyness that we have, (laughs) the withdrawal symptoms. It's that six inch by three inch thing that's in your pocket. It's that six inch, three inch thing that's in your hand. It's your phone. And we're all addicted to our phones. Back in 1967, there was a Senate subcommittee that had a report done. Uh, and, uh, and they said that by 1985, uh, here's what the average American's work would look like. They said the average American will work 22 hours a week, 27 weeks a year, all because technology would have made things so easy. And that the main problem of the future is going to be that there's going to be too much leisure. Well, I laughed out loud when I read that. Because it's not leisure, but it's distraction and busyness that I would list as our main problems. And I think our phones are the culprit. One study found that uh, the average American touches their phone 2,617 times a day. The average American spends two and a half hours on their phones a day. And for millennials, that doubles, five hours a day. And during the quarantine, I would bet that if the averages are two and a half and five, that it's more like five and ten. It's doubled. Another study that I found really interesting uh, that will make you feel even more depressed uh, about how much we use our phones. Here's what it said. It says that even when our phones are turned off, if they're in the same room as we are, we're distracted. Uh, That we have less ability to focus and we have less ability to problem-solve. And the conclusion of that study says this, it said that our phones had become these magical devices that silently shout our names at our brains at all times. Pretty scary. Now You might be saying, Marsh, I mean, I I use my phone for work. I I needed to connect with people. I'm, I'm just texting. I'm having these phone conversations. I'm on social media. I'm emailing. I've got to have it in order to connect with people. Marsh, I, I, I've got to have this. It's my newspaper. It's how I know what's going on in the world. Isn't that important? And Marsh, you, 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 do you know how lost I would be if I didn't have the maps? I'd be a wreck. Hey, listen, I get it. I'm with you too. Without the technology that we have, we wouldn't have these video calls where we'd be able to connect with people. We'd feel even more isolated than we do during the quarantine. Work, work and school would be much more diff- difficult without the internet. So I'm a big fan of the internet. I'm a big fan of our phones. But here's what's happened in the last four weeks. I've averaged at least seven hours on my phone every day. So I'm a fellow struggler. And I think we've got to be honest about the dark side of having a smartphone because our smartphones really are just one giant distraction that's left us anxious and troubled. Those are the words of our text. Distraction, anxious, and troubled. Look at verse 40. Verse 40 says that Martha was distracted by much serving. Serving of Jesus. Which means it's possible to be in close proximity to Jesus and miss Jesus altogether. Sure, Jesus was in earshot, but Martha was too busy trying to impress Jesus. And the word distracted means pulled away from a given reference point. And Martha's reference point is Jesus, but her serving has pulled her away. She's no longer in Jesus' orbit. She's now in the orbit of herself. So she's self-consumed. She's angry at Mary for not serving alongside of her. And in verse 41, Jesus describes her as anxious and troubled. So something clearly is wrong with Martha. So what does she need? What do we need Well, we need to follow Mary's lead. You've got Martha. She's defined by her greeting and her serving. And look what Mary is defined by. Her sitting and her listening. Sits and listens. Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like the quarantine to you? See, here's what I've learned about addiction. No one wakes up. If they're in addiction, no one wakes up and says, You know what? You know it sounds awesome getting sober? I just can't wait to get sober. That's not ever, ever what happens. What normally happens with people who are addicted is that they almost have to be forced into getting sober. They, they've got to hit the bottom. All things have to be on the line that they might lose it all in order for them to get sober. And maybe that's what's happening to you. Maybe uh, you're seeing how troubled, how anxious you are because you're so distracted with all you're serving, but now that all you're serving has been taken away, here you are, you're sitting there, and you're detoxing, and it's terribly uncomfortable. But the cure is very simple, it's Jesus. See, if you and I will set down our frantic pace, if we'll set down our cell phones, and if we will sit with Jesus and listen to him, We might just get set free. I know it sounds really odd to many of you. You never conceived of Jesus as someone to sit with and to listen to. He's more like a coach. He's more like an inspirational speaker who's trying to get you to do stuff. Maybe Jesus seems very distant to you that he's someone who lived, he's someone who died, he's someone who rose again, he's promised you uh, an eternity, but in the in-between of your waking up to that and when your eternal life starts, he just seems distant, like he's not all that involved in your life. Well, I can understand that. And I'm with you. I've been spouting off excuses for years why I can't sit and listen to Jesus. One of them is I'm a rabid extrovert. If I'm going to sit and listen to Jesus, uh, It's going to mean uh, I'm not going to be able to get my itch scratched for being a rabid extrovert. I've been saying, gosh, i got three little kids. I'm too busy to sit and listen to Jesus. Uh, Jesus, don't you know that I'm a church planner? I signed up for a busy life. I just think sitting and listening is impossible for me. Well, I could go on and on and on. And you could too with why you can't sit and why you can't listen. But what was brought to my mind this week is our Shorter Catechism. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one, is what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. See, Jesus is a person to be enjoyed. Let me say that again. Jesus is a person to be enjoyed. And I think that if we'll sit and we'll listen, we'll find him to be incredibly enjoyable. And here he is right here in Luke 10. He's not coercing you. He's not manipulating you. He's inviting you to be with him. Will you join him? let's pray. Father, this feels really scary uh, to wean off our busyness uh, so that we might be with you. Uh, But Lord, would you uh, make yourself oh so appealing uh, to us that we wouldn't resist. In Jesus' name, amen.